the big problem of our times actually is the way that nature works and the way we as human beings think, because there we have a very big gap. Hi, my name is Jean-Pierre Huayri and you're listening to Clean, the first and only podcast here to help you change the world. My guests are social innovators that are changing the performance capacity of society. We'll take you inside the transformative forces, technologies, and ideas that are shifting behavior patterns around global sustainability and perceptions about how we, as humans, live, consume, and behave. You'll see that you too can make a difference. The name of this podcast got changed along the way. In case you hear the word fresco, we're talking about this very same clean.org podcast. Let's dive in. Hello, everybody. Today we are with Mark Minibu from Plastic Oceans. Mark, uh, say hello to everybody and tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, thank you very much. Uh, and hello to everyone who is uh, connecting, tuning in today to this podcast. I'm very happy to be here. Um, my name is uh, Mark Minibu. I am the regional director for Latin America for Plastic Oceans International. I'm Dutch, but I live in the beautiful country of Chile and South America. And yeah, Plastic Oceans International, it's an international foundation that works to eliminate plastic pollution of the ocean. And maybe many people and of our listeners already have seen many images of this plastic pollution issue that we have all across the world. And we as a foundation, we work very hard with different kind of tools to make sure that people know about this problem and also feel empowered and inspired to start making changes. So that's what we do. And we do it with, we have different ways and different activities to do that. For instance, we produce documentaries about the issue. We work with other documentary makers as well. Of course, we educate a lot. Also, part of the, the, the educational programs and, and the presentations we do, we try to involve and, and explain more about the circular economy. It's something pretty much a hot topic that, that is being discussed a lot around the world. And it's very interesting uh, how the circular economy seems to be including all the concepts that we have been working on around the world in the last few years, like recycling, but also reducing, repairing, redesigning. But you know, we need more systemic change. And, and we think that the circular economy definitely is doing that. Of course, we support a lot of science. As a foundation, we think uh, knowing is caring. So we can only know by uh, doing science and supporting science and know the real numbers of what, what's going on around the world. So science is also uh, very important. And last but not least, legislation and regulation. So as a foundation, we are part of, for instance, the Chilean Plastics Pact, in, in Mexico, our office has been supporting legislation and, and Chile as, as well in Chile, we're working right now on a bill that regulates plastic uh, focused on all restaurants and deliveries because uh, now during the pandemic, we have seen a, a huge rise in, in single use plastic use by the restaurants and deliveries uh, and all that plastic doesn't go to recycling and goes straight into landfill or worse uh, to our environment. So those are all the different kinds and ways we're, we're working at as Plastic Ocean International to solve this huge global problem of plastic waste. Great. So Mark, um, I, I hope that our audience is tuning in because they are aware of plastic being a problem. So what I hope to do here with you is to dig in to the details, the difficulties that you've had passing legislation, what the Chilean Plastic Pact does, what you're doing in Mexico, what works, what doesn't, down to the software you use, for example, to organize yourself, how you find volunteers. Um, let's give our listeners you know, tools and blueprints and procedures 
so that they can take your experience and apply it to their cause in their home? <laughs> That's a pretty broad question, but <laughs> but I can give some very specific answer. Um, yeah, because of course, uh, I, I hope that many of the listeners already know about this problem, but I think it, it's more about something more general that we as humanity and as society have to try to solve. And it's something that we always use in our presentations when I, when I use a quote that says, the big problem of our times actually is the way that nature works and the way we as human beings think, because there we have a very big gap. Like we think we know everything better uh, as humans. And now we're finding out, especially in the last 10, 20, 30 years, that there's only one system that really works, and that's the system of nature, the system of planet. And I think um, plastic has been the villain that shows that we as human beings think that we can live by a different set of rules than the rules that work on our planet. And so it doesn't mean that plastic is really a villain, but it shows that our relationship with plastic is definitely, uh, it needs an update, let's put it that way. Because of course, you, it, it doesn't make any sense that we create such an a, amazing material that lasts forever, that is so flexible, you can use it in so many different ways, it's cheap to produce, we use it only for 10 minutes and then we just throw it away. And that, that, that I think that's a really good example of showing like, hey, th there's something really wrong the way we deal with materials in general, because in, case, in our case, we talk a lot about plastics, but the same goes for why would we cut a tree, use it for a, a piece of paper that we use five seconds and we throw it away. We're throwing away very valuable resources. And that's, that's, that's a systemic problem. It's not only a problem we have with plastic, it's, it's how we relate as human beings with our planet and the resources that our planet has. So, so that's, that's the base. I agree with you 100%. Um, and, and so it's a question of who who is causing the issue here? Is it the consumer who buys this and discards it? Mm -hmm. Is it the manufacturer who continues to make it? Is it the consumer product good company who buys it from the manufacturer to package their product and sell it to us, the consumer? Uh, how would you weigh the responsibility here by segment that, of those three segments? And, and let's not forget, obviously, the politicians who, who are in a position to legislate and, and help reduce this, which obviously is a very uphill battle that you know a, a lot about that we, we're going to hear about soon. I mean, in this case, and, and that's also something that, that we have to really change. I, we need a system change. It's the system that's broken here. It's not only the consumers, what we're consuming and the way we're consuming right now, we are a pr the product of a system that has been built to function in, in only one way. And the way the system works right now is we just extract resources, we transform it into a product, we sell it to a consumer, the consumer consumes it and throws it away. And then we have a company that, that manages our waste. That's the system. So it's very funny that this system has been only focused on efficiency lower the costs as much as possible, of course, of labor costs, of extraction costs, and, and not take any responsibility of what happens to the product after it has been sold. We're talking about a broken system. And who are the stakeholders in this system? Yes, it's the consumers who consume, definitely agree with that. And it's the consumer who throws it away. But who sold them the product? It's the manufacturer, it's the retailer, it's the, it's the big multinational corporation. And what this is, did this corporation do? They designed a product for single use. 
they sell you the product and then they want you to throw it away so they can sell you the product again. So there we have another problem. And then we have of plastic manufacturers. They have been using this synthetic material for many, many, many years without thinking about the consequences about what happens with that product or that material once it ends up in a landfill or once it, it ends up in the environment. So there is another responsibility. And then, of course, we have legislation. The same politicians and governments that have not put legislation in place to take care of toxic products. Of course, some products are being dealt with, with legislation, but many aren't. Also, we need legislation to ban certain products that really should not even exist. We need legislation that assures us that we can live in an environment that is free of any contamination. But of course, only recently, there's a surge of legislation worldwide and also locally in countries that says, hey, we need to ban certain plastics. We need to investigate more. It's not possible that there's still products being made with toxic materials. You know, it's, it's impossible that we keep drinking coffee from styrofoam cups, styrofoam, which is, of course, also a plastic. And we know by scientific studies that styrofoam, especially when it comes into touch with hot liquids, can generate cancer. So how does it make sense that those products still exist? So everybody's responsible here. A lot of these are issues that are widely reported, right? A, lo a lot of people are aware of them, they, but they usually ignore them, which is one of the frustrations that you have, right? Yeah, yeah. That they're not making behavior and, and, and consumption patterns, changes in behavior. That's not to go for everyone, but generally speaking, the reason this is still a problem is because the majority has not shifted. Yep. And so what I want to do is is kind of switch gears a little bit and, and now dive into not what the problem is, but how we can solve it, right? The, and I mean the scientific process of changing a human's behavior. Yep. What does that process look like? How are you mapping out your efforts in order to engage an audience and get them to understand that this is a problem and it's up to them to make change so that they can help be part of the solution, right? That's what I want to, to help people understand how difficult that part is. For example, we can look into your Chilean Plastics Pact and some of the steps you had to take to make that come to fruition. Let's, let's dive into, well, first of all, why don't we look into the pain in the rear that it is to get people to change their behavior? Tell me what you think about that. Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. And it's a huge challenge because, of course, I think a lot of people recognize that we're in trouble but they don't feel that they can make a difference or they don't feel that they have the tools or the ways to change their behavior because they, and they want to become a vegetarian and they have to stop using plastic and they have to leave the car. And it's just overwhelming for many people to make a difference. So, so that's first thing that we have to recognize, like, okay, people are a bit like in shock. Like, uh, how do you call that? What is the, the example? Like of a, of a rabbit that runs in front of a car and when they see the headlights, they freeze. So we have to recognize that a lot of people know what's going on, but they're like frozen in the headlights. So that's where we have to start working. And that's my vision also. Like, okay, I'm here to tell you what's happening in the world, especially with plastic and pollution. And I'm, I'm here also to take your hand and 
let's go and change the world together. I think that's a bit the attitude that we have to have as an NGO, as, a, as an international foundation, because that's where we are operating. That's where we have to inspire people and empower people to start making changes. And it can be baby steps. Of course, if we start, first start like, okay, you know what? Do you really need a plastic straw? Do you really need a plastic bag? But also work on the solutions. Okay, are you convinced that you don't want to use plastic bags? Okay, so I'm bringing you the alternatives. Maybe a cloth bag, or maybe you don't need bags, or you need maybe plastic crates, and you put them in your car, and then plastic crates, as I say, it's a plastic crate because you can use it many times over. You know, it's not uh, about plastic being the bad guys, the way we use plastic and many other uh, materials. So that's, I think, one thing that we have to recognize. People are frozen, and we need to unfreeze them and empower them to make a change. And you can do that with, with great documentaries, of course. You can wake them up with that. But if there's no follow-up after that documentary, for instance, like can you visit a website? Can you join a local environmental group? Can you already look for supermarkets where you can buy alternative pro products in your neighborhood? Do you have legislation that helps you to, to change your behavior? Or even if you're a business owner, is there legislation that incentivizes you to make a change? Because, of course, people think in a traditional way, the linear system. How can we make sure that it's for them interesting to make a change? Because as long as we keep focusing on the linear system, where the only incentive is to reduce your costs and have maximum profits, a company is not going to change. The companies right now in their business models don't count on a cost of after use management, let's put it that way. So if you're a soda company, you sell a plastic bottle with the liquid, but you don't have on your balance sheet the cost of managing the bottle back into your system. So if you don't count that cost in your business model, the only one who's going to have to take care of that bottle is probably the municipal waste management system, which is a cost. It's the consumer, or if it's being thrown away in environment, the environment is paying the cost, and who has to clean up the environment? It's the governments. So there's always a cost. But if the business models don't include that cost, uh, we will keep just chasing a dream of cleaning up the world. Mark, uh -huh. let me ask you a question, Mark. How many people like you have you met that have, that have poured so much time and energy and have accomplished the success, quote-unquote? I know you don't feel it's a success yet, but the, the progress that you've made. Um, of course, uh, I mean, I work in this area, so I meet these kind of people all the time, but I know it's still a very small group. So I would say like, wow, so, so many people are working in this and not, not only NGOs or vol volunteers or people in neighborhood who clean up their, their neighborhood. No, it's also uh, startups. For instance, uh, I think a very interesting example is, uh, at least in here in Chile, we have a very lively uh, ecosystem, a startup ecosystem. And I think about Six, seven years ago, all these startups were focusing on they wanted to be the new Facebook. Everybody wanted to d develop a new application for the phone and have the same success as Facebook. And now, if you look at the same startup ecosystem, many of these startups are now looking at environmental solutions, environmental-friendly products, new materials, maybe also using technology, for instance, to connect people and all that. But uh, I see already a shift that sustainability is more and more part of people's vocabulary, which is very positive. And last but not least, uh, to go back a bit about, to talk about the systemic change, I think that's where we also try to make a difference. Before, many NGOs were focused on 
very isolated solutions, like, okay, an NGO only focused on uh, education about recycling, or an NGO only focused on beach cleanups, or an NGO only focused on legislation trying to ban plastics, for instance. So that's okay with me. It, I think all these NGOs are super important, and I'm very happy they're doing that. But we also need to have a systemic vision and see, okay, if we ban plastics, what is the win for the environment here? Because if you ban plastic products and you don't regulate their alternatives, and we keep functioning and thinking in the same systemic way of, okay, we keep throwing away things, I don't care if you throw away plastic or you throw away paper. In the end, it has environmental damage. So, so we have to have that systemic look. And I think as Plastic Ocean International, we are working towards that. So we, we could be doing a beach cleanup with people locally, but we're also working in a plastic pack, working with multinationals, uh, supporting those kind of initiatives to make sure that they uh, are ambitious in their targets to reduce plastic in their products. What separates you from let's say, other individuals who want to make an impact. What, what, why do you think you've accomplished so much? Um, I think, well, of course, Plastic Ocean started as a foundation, as an NGO based and inspired by, the, by a film, the film A Plastic Ocean. Like we were part of the whole distribution of that film and uh, it has been very powerful to use media like a, an international documentary to raise awareness. So that has been very powerful and kick-started us as a foundation uh, really well. It really has helped us a lot. But of course, films only last for so long, you know, you need to also start building up upon that kind of material and say like, okay, now people, you know what's going on. What can we do about it? And it, because we have this international reach, as a foundation, uh, but we have also local branch offices. We have offices in Canada, in, in the United States, in Mexico, in Chile, and also in Spain, in Europe. We have the ability to do local action, but also do it in a global context. So we can be cleaning up a beach and we have the numbers like, okay, we cleaned up uh, with a group of volunteers, I don't know, three tons of plastic on that and that beach. But generating that information, I can use it when I go to my next meeting of the Chilean Plastics Pact, for instance, and they said, like, okay, Mark, what's going on with plastic? Okay, I can give them my opinion, which is based on field work, grassroots work with people. But on the same time, I can tell those multinational companies, okay, this is going on. So if you're ambitious, we have to make sure that it works for people. So we can make that translation and we can be exactly in that gap between the top-down solutions, like a plastics pact or legislation, and the bottom-up solutions. So, so we are like in between. You know what I mean? Yes. And that has okay. really helped us a lot. So let's shift here for a second and jump into legislation. Yeah. What, what does that look like? Well, legislation can look, you have legislation in many different shapes and forms. In our case, right now, what we're working on in Chile is a the regulation of plastic uh, products in the Horeca sector. Horeca is hotels, restaurants, and cafes, which, of course, is a very notorious and very visible material in, in our neighborhoods because it's a lot of waste. And right now, it's not really being recycled or recollected. So it's a very specific group of plastic products that actually uh, right now are not being regulated by, by any law in Chile right now. So that's a very slow and long process. 
the, the plastic containers that I'm talking about that we are trying to regulate in Chile are the cups, the straws, the containers, the, these coffee stirrers. Uh, you have the cutlery, plastic cutlery. So the, that's a very specific group of plastics that when they are not being used, of course, those kind of plastics can definitely be recycled. So these plastics in general are not being recycled and they don't end up in the recycling waste stream. They go straight to waste because they're contaminated with food. And many in many countries, recycling companies just don't have the technical capabilities to clean those plastics in the right way and, and recycle those products. So there we have a huge problem that that right now is not being addressed at all. So to regulate those, there's a that's, that's a really long process. It's not a, an overnight decision of politicians like, okay, let's just ban these, these products. As a matter of fact, it's a very long process that we started uh, about one and a half years ago, and it's still uh, in House of Representatives right now. We're very close on, on, on it being approved, but it's not approved yet. Because one of the things that happened a few years ago in, in Chile, in many countries around the world, is when they started banning plastic bags. Uh, many countries, plastic bags are being banned. So, that, of course, that's great. But the problem is that the alternatives were not regulated. So what happened in Chile? They banned plastic bags. They did not regulate the alternatives. So many paper bags started like a big tsunami overtaking the space that the, the plastic bags left. So now we're throwing away paper bags. And that's not good. That's not generating any change. So what we try to avoid with this legislation is uh, not only regulating these plastics, but also regulating their alternatives. And, and here we, we're touching a very specific area. It's about bioplastics, for instance. Like, are bioplastics, disposable bioplastics, are they the correct alternative? Or we should immediately shift gears and go to reusable. Everything has to be reusable. And that's a very big discussion that we're having right now uh, on a local scale, but also on a global level. Like, a lot of people saying, like, yeah, but if we make bioplastics and we throw them away, what happens? Is that good? Is it bad? Are they compostable? Uh, do they behave like any other polymer? Uh, so that's being investigated all around the world. I, I don't have the answer right now because it's a very new discussion that's going on. But but it's very interesting and very interesting times because, of course, uh, many companies, they want to be part of this. I think there's not many companies or people who say, I want to contaminate the ocean. I like plastic pollution. I think nobody likes it. But the problem is, okay, what alternatives do we have and who is going to pay for it? You know? Okay, you're right. So how do we get the consumer to start being thoughtful? And, and maybe I can jump in here and switch from interviewer to perhaps more of a conversational role. And what do you think about us educating children uh -huh. from kindergarten on up so that the next generations can grow up understanding this problem and perhaps it'll be ingrained in them that they need to live different than their ancestors, than us, than their parents and grandparents. Yeah, education is really important. I would say education to anybody. Eh? I mean... I'm only 42 years old. I, I am expecting to live at least 40 years more. So I need to be educated as well, of course, because if not, I will keep polluting for 40 more years. And that's not the idea. But of course, I am an old school 
educated person, like probably all everybody from my generation. So I was just thought like, okay, I'm educated to just use products and, and throw them away and that's it. And we're struggling and, and having a hard time to make this change. I don't have the answer, but I have a very big hope that, okay, so what if we start educating children when they're four years old? And, and it's not like a special uh, class that we have to talk about the planet. It should be talking about the planet and how things work in a general way. What happens with those children when they're 18 and they choose for a university and they want to start making change because that's part of their thinking? Like you and me, we have been programmed in a different way. So what if we can program and explain children when they're four or three or five year old that throwing away things is not a solution? So they want to avoid generating waste. Here, we're not trying to teach children to recycle better. What we need to teach is not to be better recyclers. We need to change the system and the way we think of we don't want to generate waste because not generating waste requires many more actions than just you have a bottle and you have to put it in the blue bin. No, we're teaching them you don't want to generate waste, so you choose differently. And that, of course, requires a, a profound understanding of the human brain and how we learn as, as, as a species. So I think that's what I'm really interested in is, is developing more education, more holistic education in which, I don't know, if you have math and you teach children about, you know, uh, you're a family and you're going to eat pizzas. Yeah, that's a typical example of math. But instead of that, you teach them, okay, but you have these pizzas, but you don't want to throw them away. So how can you integrate these concepts that we know that are more sustainable and the circular economy even, and how nature works and integrate it in our education on a daily basis? A, a while ago, I did, a, I did a, a little bit of a study and I, I calculated how many hours of education children in Chile receive. It's about 1,140 hours of education yearly. Right now, those Hours of education are focused on a linear economic model. What if we have 1,140 hours a year where we introduce these concepts? What will happen with that generation? They will be totally different human beings than when we were 18 years old. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. It's a great opportunity. I think, I mean, of course, what I dedicate my time to and what Plastic Ocean does is, of course, focused on a terrible problem. But man, we're living in such exciting times to make changes like right now is the time to change and from that point of view i think it's really exciting to to be working and doing what i'm doing right now well speaking of exciting times and, and <laughs> feeling good what has this work and this mission done for the quality of your life um, what has it done for my quality of life? Well, I must say when I started this, it felt like a bit of an, a battle, like, okay, I'm the crazy one who wants to separate and nobody's following my lead, you know? So the, I was doing that just, you know, as a volunteer for myself. But once I started really working with Plastic Ocean and meeting more people in when I do a, a presentation or I'm in an expert panel or when I travel to Germany, or I travel to the south of Chile, I go to the smallest villages, I go to big cities. I keep meeting more and more people who, who are working in the same area, who are so convinced that we're going in the right direction with the way we think. And, and so many people motivated to show people that, that we can do it, make a difference, you know? And also when I do a presentation at a school and 30 children and even after a presentation, two children come to me and say, like, you know what, I am so, I'm so happy what you told me and I want to make a difference. Or, or they already tell me what they're doing and you feel that you're inspiring people. That man, that's, that's so amazing that, that you cannot describe that with any, any words because it fills you up from inside. You know, it's not a logical 
uh, equation. It's just a feeling, and and uh, and that's what's really inspiring with working with the with the younger generations. They're very motivated. I'm talking about the the millennials and Generation X, Y, Z, A, B, C. I don't know how many generations we already have, but they're very motivated. But they just lack the tools. You know, they want to make a change. They're not stupid. They see the news. They see social media. And they just come to you and say like, you know what? I need to make a change. But how? Where? Please help me out. You know? So, so that's really rewarding. I think, I think that's the most rewarding thing for, for me to do this work. All right. So when you go visit those kids and you, you talk to them about your mission, um, do you take that opportunity to rally them as volunteers? How do you get volunteers to help you? Yeah, I mean, getting volunteers, I mean, there's two types of volunteers in the end. There's volunteers who just, you know, want to do stuff. And there are certain activities that are very good at that. Uh, for instance, if you do a beach cleanup and you do a, a communication about it in social media, a lot of people come and they want to help. That is always a good starting point to have a conversation because it's, of course, cleaning up a beach, but it's also an opportunity to talk to people for maybe three hours, you know? So in general, it's good to motivate people to, to take local action. It doesn't mean that if they are motivated, they all have to become volunteers for Plastic Oceans. I hope they become a volunteer for their neighborhood. I hope they become a volunteer for their school and start programs, you know? So that's, I think... One thing that uh, that we look at, like, okay, we want to inspire people to take local action and they can do it on their own and we were happily to assist them. On the other hand, for our organization, uh, we need volunteers that help us with, I don't know, social media, uh, people who help uh, us with campaigning, people that help us uh, within the organization maybe to work on uh, writing blogs, for instance. So that's a different kind of volunteer, you know what I mean? And that, and that happens also, we don't have to have an office of Plastic Ocean in each country. That's not necessary. We, we coordinate from our offices, bigger areas. So in my case, our office is in Santiago, in Chile. But we have contact with people in Peru. We talk with people in Colombia. Uh, they call me from Brazil. And that's where we find collaboration. I think that's one of the main challenges and the main work we do is, you know what? If you already are dedicating yourself to cleaning up beaches in Brazil, why would I want to go there as Plastic Ocean and also start cleaning up beaches? I'd rather, you know, get in touch with you, help you do better beach cleanups or invite more people and boost your efforts, your local efforts, with the help of Plastic Ocean Chile or the Plastic Ocean International Network. All right. How can someone help Plastic Oceans? How do they get involved? And, and what's, what are the different ways they can help and, and what's your preference? Yeah, I mean, uh, one of the things that, that was really uh, interesting when we just started Plastic Oceans and we had our film, uh, then we had a lot of people saying like, you know what, I want to show this film to my community or I want to show this film to our university or, or whatever else you can show the films to. In the beginning, when we were very focused on distributing the film, a lot of people wrote us to like, okay, I want to show this film. So that was the beginning. Right now, things are changing a bit also because it's already a few years later and people know more about the subject, so people want to get into action. People even write us like, hey, I want to also uh, start legislating plastic here in my, in my municipality, for instance, or in our country, and they invite us to be experts who advise them and consult them on, okay, how they can go about it. Our role has been changing, has been evolving in these last few years, but that makes it very interesting. And of course, as any NGO, we always need help, we, especially when it comes to funding, uh, how to make sure that we can keep working, do campaigns, keep making films. That is a special challenge. Uh, 
uh, especially in Chile, because we don't have very favorable laws for companies to donate to us. Unfortunately, in Chile, there is no law that gives companies tax benefits to support environmental causes. That's something that is really lacking, at least in, in this country. Uh, but also on a global scale, you know, we, we, we receive a lot of help from individual donations. Well, on a, on a global basis, we receive a lot of individual donations uh, through campaigns, through Facebook, etc. So that's really helpful. But of, of course, COVID also has shown us like, okay, People are uh, worried about other things right now. So, so these individual donations are amazing. We, we need them. But of course, how can we also work corporate donations, uh, international grants, those kind of things are always necessary for organizations like us. Uh, philanthropy as well. So that will always be a challenge. Although the way we work, it also helps us a lot with, for instance, being part of a plastics pact. That's something we, that's part of our mission. We need to be there, you know. That's not something that you can sponsor. That's something that we just have to do as an organization. It's a lot easier to get a sponsor for a beach cleanup or uh, get a sponsor for uh, a certain campaign that we want to do. But doing the work we do with regulation, legislation, uh, these kind of campaigns with, with the Plastics Pact, etc., those are different kind of activities that we also need to find financing for, you know? So yeah, everything helps. All donations help. Um, and we keep looking for them, of course. Yeah, that's a challenge that, that as an organization we have, like many others uh, like us. I see. What would you like me to bring up? What would you like people to, to, to know, to hear? I, I have a really nice metaphor that a, that a teacher once told me, and it's about responsibilities. And I think like a shift in thinking, but yeah, of course, I mean, I would keep, I would love to keep talking and invite people like, Hey, are there any philanthropists out there who want to help us? <laughs> but I don't know if that kind of invitation is, is the, is the right invitation right now or how, how exactly how to make that, that invitation. Never be shy to ask for help. Absolutely. Um, so that's one thing that I really need to, I think your podcast can reach people like that. I think that kind of help would really be necessary, but I, I just want, I need to stick to this whole idea of the circular economy and systems thinking. I really need to push for that message. Like, okay, we need to have act, local action, but we need to understand the global and the systemic context. You know, we can keep recycling, but we cannot recycle our, our way out of this problem. We need to understand how recycling fits into a whole new system. The, the message is clear, I think. We need local action. And we need people to keep doing things on a local level. But we also need global action. We need national action. And we need um, people to understand that we are part of a system. A system that has been working like this since the Industrial Revolution. I'm talking about more than 250 years ago, when this Industrial Revolution just started, there were only like 770 million people in the world. There were almost mm -hmm. un unlimited resources. There was unlimited space. Nobody knew anything about contamination. And that system, the linear system, when it was born in the 250 years ago in the Industrial Revolution, we're still applying the same rules now in 2020, when we have a global population that is 10 times bigger. We're almost 8 billion people. We don't have unlimited resources. We don't have unlimited space to throw away things, and we're contaminating the world. How is it possible that we're using the same rules from 250 years ago in a totally different context? We really need to change our way of thinking. We need to change our system. And it's great that we're recycling, and it's great that, that we start banning bags, but we need to see the bigger picture. You know, I mean, nature, 
is working perfectly. It's a perfect balance. If there's a predator and there's too many predators, they eat too much food. And so the, the amount of food reduces and the, the amount of predators also reduces and the system always looks for a balance. But we have created a system that is totally out of balance. And, and that's the change that we need, you know? That's the change we need in system thinking, our mentality. We just have to think about everything, every, every decision we make has an impact. But if I don't know what is the impact, how can I change the decision making? Hmm. You, you mentioned there was two types of volunteers. I got the first one. Yeah. The ones that want to beach cleanup. What was the second? We have volunteers that do local action and we have volunteers for our own organization. So that means oh. people who help us out in communication, in media, people who, who help us out in organi the organization of a beach cleanup. So you have people who participate in the beach cleanup, but there's also people who help us organizing the beach cleanup. They would be doing that for us. You know what I mean? So, I so those are the two different kind of volunteers uh, that, that can help us out. We finally dug into what I wanted to get into, and it's the end of the podcast. So we're going to have to do this again, Mark, if you want. <laughs> I can keep talking for hours. Don't worry. <laughs> Mark, th that's what I want to get into. You see, I, I got to tell you, we've been on, we we've been going through this for nearly an hour, and and I'm not trying to give you a hard time. I'm trying to highlight that I don't know if anybody is actually documenting and codifying a step-by-step -step process mm -hmm. for an individual to take action, which is a lot more complicated than it sounds because the first question is, well, what type of action is that individual capable of taking? Yeah. And then what do they want to do, right? Yeah. Because not all, not all humans are created equally. Yep. Someone that is perfect for organizing a beach cleanup might be terrible at being at the beach cleaning it up because they're in a wheelchair. Right. Yeah. So how do we create a, a, a system or a blueprint for each step of the process, the global action, the local on the ground action, identifying the, the different roles in the process, the different systems and steps? That's what I want to get into. And the more interviews I do for this podcast, Mark, the more I realize I think I might have to build it because... <laughs> Nobody's done it, or at least I can't find it. Yeah, yeah. I totally agree with you. Uh, there, there are many initiatives going on, uh, on a global scale, on a, on a local scale, on a national scale. And I think it's really good. Of course, I see a big difference with, between now and three years ago, when in Chile, uh, plastic bags weren't even banned. So, so that's really good. But in a way, all these efforts have to come together. We have to know what's going on to make sure that everything in the end will be in line to really make this change uh, happen and accelerate the change. A while ago, a just a report came out, it was called Breaking the Plastic Wave, where they worked on projecting different outcomes if we follow the actions that we're implementing right now on an international and national scale. So they made different projections of, okay, if we don't do anything, we keep doing what we're doing right now, where we're going to end up in 2050. If we manage to have recycling legislation in each country of the world, where we're going to end up in 2050. If we have the entire world committing to being circular economy countries in 2050, where we're going to end up. So, so there is a study that did it, and I absolutely recommend reading it. It's called Breaking the Plastic Wave. So that's one thing, knowing and projecting. That's really important. On the other hand, 
we need to think small on one hand. We need to think in one individual consumer because they're part of a big system. And we need to think on a global scale. Okay, how do I have to talk to a legislator and tell them and convince them that banning or regulating certain plastics in the end is a good idea? Because, of course, the, the industry will tell them, hey, but if you ban plastic, uh, so many people will be out of a job and so many, country, uh, so many companies will be, uh, have to close shop. So that has economic damage. On the other hand, we need people who know how much environmental damage we're generating because we have to pay that as well. You know, if you what happened in, in the, the island of Bali uh, many years ago, they had a huge plastic pollution problem and they had to close their tourism season for six months, generating a huge economic impact. In the end, we have to think how we have to understand how people think. How does a consumer think? How does a legislator think? How does a business owner think? Because uh, I can convince a business owner that they have to be more sustainable. But if I can't tell that business owner, hey, but uh, how this is going to affect your net profit at the end of the year, how is this, this going to affect your long-term projections? We need to speak the language of each stakeholder. And that's a lot, a lot of work. And again, if you say like, maybe you're the one who has to create this, well, happy to help. I mean, that's what we're for. You know, that's what we've been working for for so many years. And that's why we have this expertise. Mark, I was about to ask you, would you help? Thank you. <laughs> of course, that's why we're here. You know, I mean, we know what it, what is our cause. The name of our foundation is Plastic Oceans. That's our work. You know, we don't want oceans to be polluted, contaminated by plastic. But if we want to change that, we have to work in the cities. We have to work with the companies. We have to explain them. Hey, you know what? Uh, Mr. Consumer, you live 100 kilometers or 100 miles away from the beach that doesn't mean that your plastic doesn't end up in the ocean fragments into microplastics it being eaten by fish and in the end you're going to be eating your own plastic you know it's a system i see and yes happy to help i mean that's what we've been working for that's why we are working in so many different countries on so many different levels so yeah i mean if there is a collaborative effort if there's an effort to map this whole system and we, we try to fight for a systemic change. I mean, we're all for it. That's why we're here. Thank you, Mark. I appreciate it. Well, Mark, um, I think we could probably be on here for hours. So here's what I suggest. <laughs> Let's wrap this up because we allotted an hour for it. Plus, it's my son's birthday. And I uh, normally would not interrupt that for anything, but uh, I didn't want to cancel on you. Yeah. <laughs> and let's pick this up again at some point in the very near future. And dig into that process and that system. What do you think? I think uh, that's exactly what we should be doing. I mean, this is a big puzzle. I mean, I think, you know, talking between you and me, I think I showed a bit in, in, in this short period of time. This is a very big and complex puzzle. We know what is the problem. We don't want to contaminate and pollute our oceans. I think nobody wants that. But we have a very complex system and that puzzle has many little pieces and we need those pieces to come together more and more and more and shape this new system. And it has to be a collaborative effort of everyone. So, so yeah, the invitation is, of course, to look for local solutions, look for global solutions, follow us, of course, on social media. Please look for us on Plastic Oceans International, PlasticOceans.org and inform yourself. You know, a lot of things are going on. A lot of cool things are going on. I just hope everybody got to get inspired and, and wants to be part of the, the solution and not part of the problem. Thank you so much, Mark. This has been my favorite podcast so far. <laughs>
<laughs> but uh, I've done a few and, and I've enjoyed this one tremendously. Thank you so much for taking the time. And thank you for inviting me. Hello, this is Jean-Pierre. Thank you for listening. I hope this episode gave you some ideas and helped you consider ways to make a positive difference in our world. You can reach me to jp at clean.org.